Folks, welcome in. Our Mizzou game plan is on the Big 550 KTRS, your home for the Missouri Tigers. A game day coming up for the Tigers tomorrow against uh, Ben Fred's Ole Miss Rebels. Ben all over the Rebels. And that's uh, coming up tomorrow night in Columbia. Mo, Ben with me now. How are you, sir? Doing good, man. Good to be with you. Happy Friday, everybody. And uh, looking forward to talking some Mizzou sports here. We uh, we have not been able to talk this basketball team into a win, but uh, we got we got another shot here. Um, but also some football to hit on, too, as spring football kind of gives us a pleasant distraction from this basketball season. This is uh, preseason ranked, should be Missouri football team getting ready for and entering already started spring football. Meanwhile, some former Tigers are turning heads at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis trying to make their jump to the NFL. So, um, Oh, and by the way, Missouri still needs an athletic director. So a lot of Tiger oh, yeah. topics to hit on beyond just basketball this week. And we'll get to do that with our good pal Gabe Diarman, PowerMizzou.com. Long time covering the Tigers and a, a ton of topics to get into with Gabe. So we'll do that. We'll save plenty of time to talk it over with Gabe here in just a little bit. Pretty thrilled to see, Ben, what the Tigers are doing at the scouting combine right now. And as many predicted, Darius Robinson looks like a monster. I wonder what his what his ceiling is for the draft. Like how high could he rise? I mean, I, I easily think right now, Ben, he, he he can show up in the first round. But with some of the things he's already doing at the Combine, and we know his character, the guy's going to hit a home run in all the interviews he does. That's that's readily apparent. These, these teams are going to love this guy. But in terms of his physical attributes, how high do you think? I mean, could he possibly find himself in the upper... Maybe upper half is generous, but top 20? I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility with what uh, with what D-Rob's been able to do uh, heading into the combine and, and what he's doing right now. Well, he certainly helped himself at the Senior Bowl and was able to really in those practice settings and those one-on-one kind of drills stood out from some of the top guys um, on, the, on the offensive side, including some of his own teammates. So that helped him. I don't know if like the measurables of the combine will be things that just jump off the charts for him. Um, maybe there'll be a little some questions about about his forty yard dash. Not elite speed there and running in a vertical fashion. I think he plays faster than he than he runs the forty. Um, and remember, this was a guy who played on the interior of the defensive line before kind of moving outside and showing that he could bring some some pressure off the edge. So I I, I think that if he can get into the first round, it would be a big win for Mizzou. I think it would be something that Missouri could point to and say, hey, this is uh, another successful development of a player from kind of overlooked prospect to to a steady, you know, steady really projected pro. And that's really what Missouri has to sell in this class. They don't have those, you know, lottery pick type guys they can point to, but they've got a lot of impressive players that are on the cusp of starting pro careers that really probably were not guys who were screaming off of the recruiting rankings when they showed up in Columbia, whether it was via the high school, you know, method pipeline or transfers. Um, you look at the, what, eight guys that got sent there. I think the highest rated player out of that group was Tyron Hopper, who was a full star when he showed up at Florida, um, became an impact transfer and improved his stock at Mizzou. After that, 
it was pretty much the best you had were three-star guys. Um, you know, you look at Jalen Carlisle, Darius Robinson, Chris Abrams-Drain, Javon Foster, Ennis Rakestraw. These were all kind of three-star-ish type players. Rakestraw might have been a, a four-star. Harrison Mevis was, a, I think, a, a two-star. Um, Cody Schrader was a no-star. He was a guy nobody even knew, showed up as a walk-on, a, D, a D2 transfer out of Truman State. And all of these guys have a shot uh, to be – you know, guys who are going to get a a fair shake at an NFL career. So, if you're Eli Drinkwitz and you're you're out on the recruiting trail, you're you're saying, "Hey, look, Darius Robinson could be a first round pick. Some of these other guys are going to be later, but have a real chance." And nobody thought that much of them coming out of high school until they showed up and showed out at Mizzou. And that's something that should move the needle on the recruiting trail for Eli Drinkwitz. No, no question. And and I think the, these guys are 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 so impressive with how they come in to this program and suddenly start to develop and produce. It's You can develop all you want, but then there's got to be the production on the field, and they're doing that. And I, I'm, you know, Cody Schrader was on the podium today, Ben, and you, you just – we talk about the character of Darius Robinson. I, mean, we're using, we're, I love being able to use that word. We're not, we're not blowing smoke, Ben. The, these guys – they they talk the talk and they walk the walk and Cody Schrader is is such a uh, is such a legitimate guy a sincere guy and I I'm just going through my Twitter timeline right now and there's so much trash on Twitter most of the time it's nice to see some good things and you you, you hear some comments on here like um, man every every interaction I have with Cody Schrader is is so great love love seeing this guy love covering this guy. And that's that's this all over Twitter and and people raving about this guy. And I'm not sure how the physical, the tools, the measurables. I don't think they're jumping off the page for Cody, but he is 100% going to be a guy, Ben. That you really need to focus on the tape. You really need to focus on in-game scenarios, in-game scenarios for Cody Schrader because he's going to be one of these guys that outperforms his measurables. And and that's he's not going to be a He's a running back as well. We we know that's, that there's not a ton of value in that position, uh, according to NFL teams these days. So I don't know where he's going to wind up, but some team is just going to get an absolute gem. And if you pay attention to the intangibles and not necessarily the straight-up measurables and pay attention to how he performs in the interview setting, again, I think Cody's going to – he's going to wow enough teams, Ben – where maybe there is somebody that jumps up and says we're willing to take a shot on him at, at a at a more premium draft position. I I won't I silly to speculate what that would be, but if Cody Schrader comes away with a seventh round grade, something tells me there might be a team that says we're willing to take a risk on him in the fifth round because he's just that kind of guy. Well, I think the one thing that will stand out, hopefully for him, the more teams study him, is his versatility. Um, he's not simply a running back. He is a very aggressive and effective blocker in the in the passing game. He can catch the ball. And I think he showed that at the at the at the senior bowl, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield probably didn't use didn't get used as much as it could have because Missouri had so many other guys they could throw the ball to in his showcase senior season. Um, but he, he's very effective in catching the ball and he's not a guy who has to come off the field for much. He can do different, 
things. Um, and then you, you know, the, I think the idea of him being too small or something, I think that's kind of been phased out. Now they might have a knock on his top end speed. He's again, a guy who plays faster than exactly than what, than what he's going to show up in the 40, yep. but, but the game film for him will look faster than his 40. He's also, we've seen more and more of this. Some of these smaller stature running backs, they're hard for defensive players to see. They get behind those offensive linemen and they can read the holes and cutbacks and they can use their size actually to their advantage. And he's not going to hurt you in the mental game of football and he's going to be a positive guy for your locker room. So that's a whole lot of positives. Um, and you're dinging a guy a lot if, you, if you're only looking at his 40-yard dash and saying that guy can't get it done. I mean, this guy led the SEC rushing. That is not a an easy thing to do in a conference that values running backs and and still ultimately wants to be able to to get get yardage on the ground despite the trend toward the passing game. So I think versatility for Cody and also Darius are going to be huge things. Um, you know, you look at some of the you know ESPN analysts have Darius projected like he could be a top thirty pick. I think Mel Kiper, um, Daniel Jeremiah both yeah. had him going twenty seventh overall to the to the Cardinals. And one of the reasons, I mean, that would be like the highest. Highest place a Mizzou player has been picked, I think, since Charles Harris back in 2017. Um, part of that would be because Darius Robinson has shown the ability to be both an inside and outside player. Yep. He can line up at defensive tackle like he did last season. He jumped outside and was one of the most dynamic players on Missouri's really strong defense last year. So both of these guys can do various things, and more and more in the NFL, you're not just a you're not just a one-way ticket guy. You got to be a guy who can stay on the field um, in any situation. And both of these guys have kind of shown an ability at the highest level of college football to be able to do that. Ben Fredrickson, Brendan Weesey with you. It's our Mizzou game plan here on this first weekend in March. We thought we might be talking about a Mizzou NCAA tournament possibility. Certainly not the case. We'll uh, we'll talk some hoops coming up in our last segment. Gabe Diarman coming up with us next. A ton to talk about with Gabe. He'll be with us on the other side of this commercial break on the Big 550 KTRS. Brennan and Ben Friend continuing with you here on the Big 550. We're pleased to be joined by Gabe Diarman, PowerMizzou.com. Gabe, it's always a pleasure to visit, sir. How are you? Not bad. What's going on, guys? We're hanging in there, man, and uh, got a lot shaken. It, it, it is never dull, I know, for you on this beat covering the Missouri Tigers and hey spring balls here let's start with some positives we've got football back have you been able to glean anything from uh these last few days as uh, the the fellas are back on the field yeah um when you say it's never dull that accepts the 40 minutes that we get to see football practice <laughs> because that is uh to be honest relatively dull um you know we'll basically we go to make sure everybody's there and it's the first couple days and they've all been there i mean you can't see a whole lot uh it'll be the spring game is supposed to be an actual spring game this year on march 16th so that'll be a little bit better you know we'll we'll react to that and overreact to that and put way too much weight on it certainly for a practice but um a lot of new guys i mean like i can tell you caden green is he's a large human um i knew that but as far as like actually seeing live football we won't see any of that for a couple more weeks the 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 roster it does look to be 
pretty imposing again, though, right, Gabe? With the with the transfers yeah. that have come in, the incoming freshman class that we're obviously not going to get a, a a a great read on yet, but it it looks like this this roster is is prepared to to make a run at it with the new expanded playoff next year. Yeah, I thought last year their biggest strength was they didn't have any obvious holes, right? Like, I don't know if there was anywhere that you looked at that Missouri team and said, I think this is the best team in the country or one of the two or three best teams in the country at this. But there also was nowhere that you looked and said, "Ah, they're really lacking there. And so I think the departures, they've, I I mean, look, we don't know if there's anybody that's going to run for, you know, 1,800 yards or whatever Cody Schrader did last year. Um but the offensive line, they've done a nice job restocking it. They brought in a couple of transfer running backs and then a four-star kid out of high school. They've added to the receiving core. I, I think the biggest question for me personnel-wise coming in was how do you replace uh, Chris Abrams' drain and Ennis Rakestraw? I mean, Drayden Norwood steps up. They bring in Toriano Pride. So on paper – they, they look to have done a nice job of that. You never know if it's necessarily going to translate. The, the biggest question I have is just, you know, the chemistry and the, the leadership on this team. I mean, I don't think you can really overstate what guy like Darius Robinson and probably Ennis and Cody and maybe even Tyron Hopper meant to this team kind of in the locker room away from the football field beyond what they, they managed to do on it. So that's something that, that you don't really know for a few months. Gabe, when you look at uh, – you had a chance to talk with Corey Batoon and we all wondered, okay, what's the move now that Blake Baker's gone? And It's an interesting it's an interesting job because Blake Baker was obviously a very good defensive coordinator, but I think everyone understood he was very big in player motivation. Guys love to play for him. Corey Batoon brings uh, maybe some of that same kind of – players coach mentality to it but he's going to put his fingerprints on this defense what's been the first impressions of the new defensive coordinator and how he's going to kind of put a twist on this defense without ultimately changing things around too much yeah I mean it's a lot like what Blake did when he came in here right he said it's a lot easier for me to learn terminology than for 50 guys to learn my terminology so uh Corey Batum said he's going to do the same thing you know they're I mean, they might change a phrase here and there, like uh, there's a position now, one of the defensive ends is called a joker rather than, you know, weak side defensive end or whatever it was, you know. Um, But I think he's mostly going to try to be fairly, uh, keep continuity from what Blake Baker did scheme-wise and and add a little bit to it. And and like you said, I mean, look, they all know, schemes and plays and drills and all that a lot of it is can they pull all these guys together and and get them on the same page and that's something that Blake did really well uh we'll find out about Batoon I mean you know he's got the resume certainly to make this of a a jump and and be a defensive coordinator in a, a power four in the SEC he just hasn't actually done it before so until you go do it um you know there will be those questions we sit here and we go, okay, who replaces Cody Schrader? Last year, we were not going into the season going, here comes Cody Schrader as the SEC's right. leading rusher. Every season, we've, we've we've done this where we go, okay, who's going to emerge? And we go, maybe it'll be running back by committee. And then it almost always seems like one guy becomes the workhorse back for Eli Drinkwitz's team. Um, who's that guy if there is one this year? Or could it actually be the first season where we kind of see maybe 
a multi-back approach. They've got transfer options. They've got guys who've been in the system eager for more opportunity options. Do you see one guy kind of breaking away from the pack with this, or do you think it could be uh, kind of a, a lightning and, and thunder type type dual back system here? Yeah, I expect more distribution. But like you said, I expected more distribution last year. I didn't right. think Cody Schrader would even lead the team in rushing yards. And then it just got to a point. It was a combination of Nate Pete never quite did what they hoped he would do. And Cody was just so good that, you know, I, I mean, it's an argument I've had all offseason. Every time running back comes up on our board, people say, well, he's only going to give one guy a chance anyway. Well, when exactly would you have given somebody else a chance? Right. The guy led the SEC in rushing. He, he was the first guy in SEC history to also have 100 yards receiving in a day where he had 100 yards rushing. Like, I'm not sure, you know, it's like one guy on a basketball team takes 47 shots a game. Well, if that guy's Michael Jordan, awesome. I don't want anybody <laughs> else taking the shots, you know. So, uh, but if there's that guy on this team, I think it would be Marcus Carroll, who was seventh in the country in rushing last year, had fairly similar numbers to Cody I think maybe didn't didn't have quite the workload but you know I, I think we'll see a little bit more because I think Nate Noel is the first like true speed back they've had just just brings a different dynamic to it I don't know if he's a guy you hand the ball to 25 times a game but I think he's a receiver out of the backfield I think he's kind of that third down type guy um, and then you know Jamal Roberts I know people were really excited about him a year ago and they got a kid named Kawan Lacey, a four-star out of high school, which I make it a habit to not watch recruiting highlight tapes very often because, A, I'm not smart enough to know, you know, exactly what I'm looking for. I don't want to fake it and talk about a kid's, you know, swivel hips and use a bunch of terms <laughs> that I don't know what the hell they need. But also because they're highlight tapes, they're supposed to look good. But every now and then you see one that you go, Oh, no, that looks good even when you're talking about a highlight tape. And Kawan Lacey's kind of struck me that way. Gabe Diarman with us, powermazoo.com. A lot of excitement around football. Gabe, we got to talk about some of the other things, too. And, and let's, start <laughs> yeah. with, uh, let's start with now an a, a impromptu search for a new athletics director. And, and I, I think you were the, the first to report it last week as, as Desiree Reed Francois left to take the job at Arizona how, how should Mizzou fans feel about this what what do you think how should this search be conducted to try and find an athletics director that might have an intention of uh, of sticking around for a while yeah you know I I think and and I know Ben has, has written some of these things and he and I have talked I think will agree with me um I think if you want somebody that sticks around a while, you kind of have to change the way you do business at Missouri, which is you have to let them be the athletic director, um, you know, and, and let them make their own calls and sink or swim. And, uh, you know, I, I know people that hear that will say, but the last time the curator stepped in, it worked and it did. Um, I mean, they stepped in said, no, we don't want Blake Anderson. Find somebody better that got him Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, he recruited really well for two years. They gave him an extension, which, again, was driven by the curators, which I was honest. I wouldn't have given him at the time. I think a lot of people wouldn't have given him at the time. And right now it looks like they were right on that. So, you know, if, we're, if we've got a scoreboard, hey, they're up 2 nothing. Uh, but athletic directors tend to want to be in charge of their own department, and that doesn't mean 
they get to do anything they want without checks and balances. That's why I think the systems exist in the way they do. But I'm curious going into this, if there will be people that Missouri wants to go after that say, you know, I've, I've kind of seen some things that have happened, not just in the last two or three years, but really in the last 15, um, where I, I, that gives me hesitancy to want to take this job. Uh, because I'm not sure that I'll really be in charge and have the freedom to run the department the way I see fit. So I think that's a part of it. But look, it's an SEC job. There are two conferences anybody wants to be in, and that's why the move to Arizona really caught everybody so off guard because not very many people are going to voluntarily leave one of these leagues to join one of the other ones. And that's what it looks like Desiree did. Now, you can we can interpret the word voluntarily – and I don't think any of us will ever really know if it was truly voluntary um, because I, I think best case scenario for all involved is, hey, just move on and, and we all go our separate ways. And, and we just take her at her word that, hey, I had a chance to go to this place that's really special to me. And so I did it. Whether whether we believe that or care if we believe it, you know, probably ultimately won't really matter down the road. I, I think – she did a very good job here. I think there are plenty of other people who can also do a good job here. Um, I got along with her well, had a good relationship. She is not irreplaceable. Where are, are there are there candidates out there that you think should maybe rise above the rest here? Uh, as as you as I know you've put together kind of that uh, that hot board of of uh, potential candidates out there. Who do, who do you think would be a good fit? Yeah, look, Ren Baker was the first name that came to everybody's mind. I, I don't think that's very likely. He's got a, a Power 5 job at West Virginia that that I think he's pretty happy at and, uh, you know, has some, some work still to do there in, in moving past the Bob Huggins era and getting that figured out. Um, Laird Veach at Memphis makes a whole lot of sense. He was here for a little bit under Mike Alden. Then he worked at Learfield in, in Columbia for a long time. He's a K-State grad. He's been at Memphis for, I think, about six years, something like that. Um, and he's a guy that it would make sense. Hey, he wants to make that move to a Power 5 job, right? If you're looking at somebody that already has a Power 5 job, maybe some of those things we talked about matter a little bit more. But if you're talking about giving somebody an opportunity to get in, into a Power 5 job, maybe you know that that's not a, as big a roadblock uh for somebody like that so i think laird is is certainly on the list i know he was on the list last time um i've had people mention doug gillen at app state he obviously hired eli drinkwitz i i, I don't think that's a name at the top of the list but hey i could be wrong nobody's actually sharing the list with me people have mentioned sarah baumgartner down in texas i know sarah well from when she was here in the past and and I really like her and and think that would be a good hire, but she's never been an AD at all, much less a power five AD. Now, number two at Texas is, is you know, that comes with, with certainly responsibility, um, but I don't think she's ever actually been in charge of the department. I've heard John Curry's name at Wake Forest a little bit. That's a little bit more of the, uh, you know, kind of NFL head coach retread route, right? He's been at K-State. He's been at Tennessee. He's been at Wake. He's just kind of moved around to all these different jobs. So uh, Rick Hart at SMU was another name that somebody has mentioned to me along the way. But I don't think this is going to be fast. Like, to my knowledge, we don't have any news of a search firm or anything yet. So, and uh, Ben, maybe you're different. The, the curators in Moon Joy 
I don't think they have my number. They do not regularly share with me uh, what they're doing. In fact, they frequently like to take pride when I don't know what they're doing. So, uh, hey, the next thing we know, maybe, hey, here's who Missouri hired. My sense is that Missouri, and I would agree with them on this, I think the vibe seems to be that if they wait a little bit, the smoke from the shock of the Desiree departure will fade some, and they can maybe focus the people's attention more on what they do have to offer. And I think Missouri has a lot to offer. And, and I, and I, that's kind of my question to you is if you're Missouri, you're going out and pitching this job. And this is in some ways a compliment to what Desiree accomplished here. I think Missouri is in a better spot to offer it yes. up its AD job than it has been in a while. And I, and, and it's not because it's not because another AD has ran for the Hills. Um, and, and this now, I mean, the list is long. Mac Rhodes left for Baylor when Baylor was in a terrible spot. Desiree leaves for Arizona when it has a nearly two hundred billion dollar budget surplus deficit. Let's not let's not sugarcoat this. Right. But they also have a football program that's going to be preseason ranked. They've got an NIL effort that is that is cruising along and and gaining ground that will not be disrupted by the departure of the the AD. And I would also add this, they're in the, the conferences you mentioned where everybody wants to be or one of two, and they've got a board of, of curators that very much are going to want the next person to succeed. So there will yeah. be an extended honeymoon period for whoever the hire is. I think those are positives that Missouri hasn't maybe had to offer any candidate in a while. Do you feel like Missouri's in a better place to offer up this job than it has been since, I don't know, well, I mean, you got to go back even before since June 3rd because that was, yeah, probably so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and actually when you were kind of running through that, here's what it reminds me of a little bit is when Conzo got fired. Um, it didn't go well at the end, right? The last season was not good. But Conzo Martin left Missouri's basketball program. They they were able to hire a better coach um than than they were, you know, five, eight years before because he did do things that improved the pro he stabilized the program. Um there was some you know, 2015 to, and I think Jim Sterk improved Missouri. It was better when he left than when he got here, right? Uh, coming off 2015, that was a tough job, and and he improved it. Maybe, uh, you know, I I know some people had their various issues with Jim, like you're like you're going to with anybody, but I think overall he improved it. I think Desiree can say the same thing. I think she can go to Tucson, and regardless of how it ended, she can say that's a better athletic department than it was when I got there. And and that's ultimately the goal. Like you said, football is 11 and two people are talking playoff, the EIL, like literally we wrote about a quarterback who's visiting campus next month, this morning. And what I was, one of the other finalists is Penn state. And I was told by somebody that covers Penn state yet, yeah, Penn state can't compete with Missouri's NIL, you know? So that's pretty good. You're in good shape there. Basketball. I understand the train wreck that this basketball season is, but, I think you can tell an AD, look, we've got a guy that that looked like he was he showed some reason to believe he's really good in year one. He's in a contract that you shouldn't have to do anything, you know, next year. Um, hopefully, I mean, you never know, I guess. But you, you've got your football coach, you've got your basketball coach. Things are things are in pretty good shape here. The TV money's going to roll in even more from the SEC, so you're stepping into a place you can succeed. Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking, and, and tell me if you, if you disagree and that's, that's totally fine. If you do, I think it's natural in Missouri way of thinking to go, well, 
they've got to get somebody who knows the lay of the land, who's got Missouri ties. Oh. And the, the older I've gotten, the more I've watched people fail or succeed, the more I discredit that. However, not for the sake of like, they had to be a true Mizzou, true son. I do think maybe someone who just understands the oddities of how the power structure works at Mizzou may be a little more inclined to figure out a way to find that much discussed but rarely found synergy that everybody talks about. You almost kind of want somebody who's got a feel for the political nature of the job and all the ducks you got to keep in a row to get stuff done. And I wonder if Desiree coming from the outside, Jim Sturt coming from the outside without any previous Mizzou experience, maybe put them at a quicker crossroads with some of the powers that be, in, whether it's curators or chancellor, and maybe somebody who's just got a little taste of how it works because it's unique at Mizzou to anywhere else. Maybe some familiarity it, with that would help the next person. Is it unique at Mizzou, though? Because I think it is. Like, I, I, think I think we think get a little bit campus has its own as its own place, its own weird quirks, but among the worst. You and I watch Tennessee Twitter fire and hire a football coach. You know, my friends that cover Auburn, there's a a phrase there, just Auburn being Auburn. Um, You hear all (laughs) kinds of stories out of Texas and A&M. Like, I I think we think it's different here because it's the one we focus on. Right. And I'm not saying it's perfect. There are some issues, but I'm not sure it's as unique as we think it is. I think anywhere you go, like, I think a big part of being an AD is being able to manage those politics and balance those egos and all that. And, you know, as far as knowing the climate, look, I don't know if Eli Drinkwitz could have picked Missouri out on a map in 2019. It, there were no ties. He was unlike anybody they'd ever hired. And you know what? He knew it was connected to Arkansas. Well. He knew it was connected to Arkansas. Well, right. I mean, that's fair. He probably could have found it on a map, but I don't think he could have told you a lot about it. And, fair, and he's coming in here, and, and it's worked. So I think sometimes, hey, having somebody who doesn't come in with preconceived biases and notions might not be the worst thing. Um, but, it, like, my always, it, we go through this every time there's a coaching search. Fans say, well, I just want to hire somebody who's not going to leave here. Leave us. Well, no, because if you're hiring somebody that doesn't have bigger goals, then you're hiring somebody who might not do this to the fullest extent. I mean, let's be honest. If you hire somebody that three years from now they get a better offer and they take it, then you go, great, they did what what we wanted them to do. I mean, yeah, you don't want them leaving for a worse job, which we think two of the the last two athletic directors have done. Um, And so, yeah, you got to fix that part. But I'm not big on they have to have ties here or they have to – this has to be their dream job or whatever. You know, in college athletics – the dream job is the one you have because they're the ones paying you. I, I asked a coach years and years ago, uh, there was a, a former Mizzou coach whose name popped up a little bit as a candidate at Kansas. And I said, he can't take that job, can he? And he said, I give you two million reasons he can take that job. That, that's all they're loyal to in college athletics or in anywhere else, really. And I mean, look, if, if another place offers me more money, I'll listen to him. If another uh, station comes in and offers to triple what you guys are getting paid. I bet you probably listen to them. You know, it's it, that's we're all that way. Gabe, be- before we leave, is you mentioned the disaster that's been the basketball season. Has your opinion changed at all on on Dennis Gates and and how things look uh, as we move past this season and and uh, into hopefully better times starting next year? 
Um, I don't know if my opinion has changed. My confidence in my opinion has changed. After year one, like I, I openly told people, I think if he stays, he's going to be the best coach Missouri's had, um, except for Norm Stewart and maybe even including Norm Stewart. Like I, I was that impressed with what Dennis did in year one. If you can say that, you know that with a straight face, like you're a liar. I mean, this season has gone worse than anyone could have imagined. And and look, I, I we know Dennis doesn't tell the truth and tell us his true feelings in the media, right? So this will never happen. But if I could give truth serum to anybody on this campus right now, I'd give it to him and I'd just say, what happened? Like, like how did it get here? We know there are injuries. Um, we know they missed some guys in the transfer portal. We know some guys haven't stepped forward. But this team should have won some games. They should not. This is not an 0 and 18 in the SEC roster, which is what it looks like they're heading toward. And I would love to know just how did we get here? So if this season has not it, it, taken a blow at your confidence, like I don't know what you're paying attention to. I want to have your optimistic outlook on life. If you can <laughs> sit here and tell me, yes, I know Dennis Gates is going to get it done at Missouri. I I want to know why you think that. Ben, any Dave, final thoughts? My question thoughts? is this. In terms of fixing it, I'm excited. I think most people are about this incoming freshman class. But you can't tell fans, hey, these these freshmen are going to roll in and this team is going to be in contention for a tournament. We've seen what the limitations of the current batch of freshmen are, and that's not knocking them. It's just hard to come in and make a huge difference as a true freshman. The, the examples of that are pretty rare across this league. What is – what is what do you think Gates does transfer portal wise to try to jump start so so this one season skid doesn't become a yeah. multi year deal here? Well, the the first part he's got to figure out is who comes back. Um, you know, there's there's like six guys that we know are leaving because they're finally out of college eligibility, which means you're like 31 at this point in time, I think. Um, <laughs> right. But you know, John Tomsey and Caleb Grill. Both are now eligible for another season. That doesn't mean that season has to be at Missouri. Um, you've got Tamar Bates, who you've seen a lot of good things out of, and I would think you would would do what you can to keep him. But, uh, look, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think Tamar's going to have some other opportunities. Sure. Even Aiden Shaw, he's been here two years. He's hasn't progressed offensively to be you know, optimistic about it. And to be pessimistic, you would say he's regressed. Um You've got the three freshmen this year who Anthony Robinson and, and Jordan Butler both have shown flashes. Um, Trent Pierce really hasn't. Help has been a part of that. But considering what we heard about him before the season, I think it's a little bit of a surprise. So you're talking about six, seven guys right there and didn't even talk about Kurt Lewis and Jesus Carolero, who technically can come back. But, look, I, I don't know that either one of us expect them to. But this is a two-way street. How many want to come back and how many do the coaches want back? Because – I think to the, the beauty of the transfer portal is you can fix this immediately, right? If you can go from 25 wins to eight, there's no reason you can't go from eight to 25. Sure. You have to do the portal right. I think he has to find a minimum of two starters in the transfer portal and another probably rotation guy. So if you're talking about three of your top eight or so are going to come out of the portal, you just can't bring all those guys back. There's not enough room. And I know he had 27 guys on scholarship or NIL or whatever this year, but he had all those guys, and yet we're still here with four games left in the season going, they don't have enough guys, man. So, you know, it, it's not about the number. It's about making sure they're the right ones. 
Gabe Diarman, PowerMizzou.com. Gabe, I'm sure you've got a ton of stuff up right now that folks can find covering, again, everything about this uh, athletics program right now. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you said it, there's never a, a dull day. I, you know what, guys? Sometimes I, some days I just wake up and say, give me a dull day. Let's, <laughs> let's just have not anything happen, right? Uh, we didn't even talk about the combine. We'll have some more videos from up there. Had, had our recruiting report up with a, a transfer quarterback that we expect to be in town next weekend, kind of filling that same horn void. So, yeah, plenty of stuff going on. Gabe, great stuff. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you again here soon. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. All right, Brendan and Ben Fred tying a bow around this Friday night and our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550 KTRS. Great to hear from Gabe Diarman a little while ago. And let's now dig into some basketball this weekend. Mizzou Ole Miss bent tomorrow here on the Big 550 KTRS. Primetime tilt. You've been very high on Ole Miss. Got off to a fast start at the beginning of the season. They're, because... They got off to a uh, well. They got off to a great start because their schedule was somewhat soft, much like Mizzou a season ago. Uh, they look to be firmly, squarely on the bubble right now, Ben. So, in a game like tomorrow for Ole Miss, it can really only hurt you. That there's not a ton they can gain by beating Mizzou on the road, but it could certainly hurt them. That would be. I mean, nor- normally road games aren't quad two or quad three losses. That's I think it's a quad. It would be a quad three loss for Ole Miss tomorrow, losing at Mizzou. So they've uh, they've got motivation to avoid that for sure. And the Tigers, again, motivation to just win their first conference game. I tell you what, you uh, you are not knocking me for being high on Ole Miss when they were eighteen and three, but now you bring it up. I'm high on them. Well, I understand why they've lost six of their last seven games. And the one win that they have in that in that span <laughs> is against Mizzou. Uh, they're kind of experiencing the Texas A and M uh, regression here. Where look, if Ole Miss doesn't make the NCAA tournament, I don't want to hear Chris Beard sit around and cry about how the bracket was mean to him and the selection committee did him no favors. When you when you lose your pulse down the end of the uh, the money point of the season, then no one no one cries for you. So this team's only win since. February, the start of February, has come against these Tigers, and it came by three points at home in Oxford. Now they got to go to Mizzou and try to complete the season sweep. This may be, I feel like every game I say, this may be Mizzou's best chance to, to win a game, but Ole Miss is struggling here now. Their schedule got a lot tougher. These losses have come against ranked Auburn, South Carolina, Kentucky. Um, they came on the road at Mississippi State. They came against ranked South Carolina and ranked Alabama. So they have been playing the tougher teams in the conference, but they've been steadily losing. And they're they're searching. They're licking their wounds here probably about as much, not, not as much as Mizzou, but about as much as any other team in the SEC. So two desperate teams here, only one of which has a chance to maybe – maybe pull their way back onto the bubble, but they're falling off of it. And I would say right now they're out. They've got chances at Missouri, Georgia, and then in a very desperate game, a regular season finale against Texas A&M to try to uh, create some bubble life for themselves entering the SEC tournament. And I I feel like they've probably got to win out here. So Mizzou could knock them out tomorrow night. I I think Mizzou can apply the knockout blow here to Ole Miss 
something to rally around, and it's I believe it's the rally for Ryan game tomorrow night. So yeah, uh, the Tigers have a pretty good track record in that game. So hopefully it translates to a win tomorrow night. And as we've talked about, just trying to find some momentum here for the end of the year heading into next season. Ben, look, let's look at some of the bigger games tomorrow. And the, it is a loaded slate, great slate of college hoops, a lot of ranked versus ranked opponents. And it starts in the SEC, a team Tigers just saw, number 24, Florida, at number 18, South Carolina. And I think this is South Carolina, they've, They've been showing out all season long. For Florida, it's it 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 took a rallying point for them to get to where they're at. But uh, I, I think Lamont Paris is in a great position to be SEC Coach of the Year, and I wouldn't sleep on Todd Golden in that spot either because the Gators look at their two losses at not a great A and M team, but they lose by one. That was on the road. Then they lose at Alabama in overtime. In fact, they've played a bunch of overtime games here. You know, they beat Kentucky on the road, one at Georgia. Uh, their, their schedule doesn't uh, wow you, but I think the Gators are in a really good spot here. Um, I think Florida goes in there and beats South Carolina uh, on the road. I, I think uh, Gators were an early, my early Final Four pick at the start of the year. Felt pretty bad about it at the start, but starting to feel like the Gators can make some noise this March, Ben. I think they beat South Carolina tomorrow morning. Yeah, I kind of with you on this. I, look, they've only got one fewer SEC loss than South Carolina. Um, they're averaging. They're both coming off a couple wins. I mean, Florida's averaging like like close to 15 more points per game than South Carolina. Um, I kind of like Florida. Watching them play against Missouri, they look confident. They looked bouncy. They looked they looked like the Florida team that we thought we were going to see from the start. So. I am very impressed with what South Carolina has done this season. I'm not quite buying them being a top 20 team. Maybe I'll be wrong here. They, they get this one at home, but I, I kind of like the Gators to pull off the road upset here. South Carolina made their hay uh, in the in this conference season, Ben, because their best non-conference win, um, Grand Canyon. So that gives you an idea. <laughs> the, the Gamecocks non-conference schedule, they had Notre Dame and Virginia Tech on there, but those teams – turned out to not be very good how about a big Florida's 10 records florida's record florida lost back-to-back -back games to kentucky and ole miss in january they haven't lost back-to-back -back games since um and two of those losses were to tennessee and alabama i, I kind of feel like florida's going to finish on a, on a high point here wouldn't be surprised if they win this game wouldn't be surprised if they beat alabama yeah. um to, to kind of end this season on a four-game winning streak watch out for florida in the sec tournament too how about that? It was a fly in a line. I've been 13th ranked team of the country. Travel to Madison, take on the Wisconsin Badgers tomorrow. This is a desperate game for Wisconsin. They have been scuffling lately. They've lost six of their last eight home wins against Ohio State and Maryland are their only victories. They Wisconsin needs this badly. I, I've seen that a lot of the prognosticators still think they're a lock for the tournament. I, I don't know about that. No, they've got good non-conference wins. Virginia, SMU, Marquette, that probably does put them over the top. Uh, they played t Tennessee tough at the start of the year in a loss. Uh, you can't be losing games at home, even against quality opponents like the Illini. And you've got Rutgers and then at Purdue for Wisconsin. I think the Badgers find a way to pull this out. 
raucous home crowd. They're going to be fired up there. They know how big this is. And, and, and getting a great team like Illinois coming through, you know Terrence Shannon is going to be hearing it tomorrow. Wisconsin wants to slow you down, but they don't slow you down as much as they used to. I think this is a much better offensive Wisconsin team than we've seen in past years. I think the Badgers have just enough to beat Illinois, and certainly for the Illini, uh, I don't think a loss can hurt them at all. A win could certainly help boost Illinois. Make no mistake about it. But a loss does no damage to the Illini tomorrow. But Wisconsin needs it. Yeah, Wisconsin has been better at home. And beware Illinois on the road. Um, yeah, they won two in a row. But they went at home and they they get weird on the road. They had that brutal, just kind of hard to wrap your brain around loss at Penn State where they just dissolved um, they did. They they lost to Michigan State. We another game that we picked, and we didn't just wasn't quite sure about their ability to travel to a hostile environment. There, you remember their loss to your Northwestern Wildcats in overtime on the road. That's one thing that Illinois has kind of left up for grabs: is can they travel and be dominant? And against a desperate Wisconsin team, ahead of that big showdown against Purdue, I kind of like Wisconsin here to show up tough at home and take care of Illinois here. Don't feel great about it, but I don't feel great about Illinois winning on the road in Big Ten play here recently. Yeah, it'll be a, be a really big one tomorrow um, and a lot of ramifications there for the Badgers and for the Illini if they can win it to start to maybe discuss the possibility of a two-seed for Illinois, I think. How about a big one in the Big East? Marquette travels to Creighton, number five Golden Eagles and the number 12 Blue Jays. Creighton hasn't wowed me this year, Ben, but then I look at their record, and it's really pretty good. They don't force any turnovers. In fact, I think they're one of the right. worst teams forcing turnovers in the country, the Creighton Blue Jays. But they also, they're the best team and not fouling the opposition. They're not going to put you at the free throw line. And they've got a you know a great three-headed monster, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, and then uh, the big St. Louis and Ryan Kalkbrenner, who uh, cleans up down there in the paint. Tyler Kolick and that Marquette team, Tyler Kolick not suspended, uh, unlike uh, some internet rumors here earlier this week. I like Marquette to um, I like Marquette to do some damage this March, unlike they did last year. But I think Creighton uh, protects their home floor and gets it done tomorrow. The the projected numbers love Creighton like seventy percent um, according to the ESPN analytics, which maybe is a, a little little surprising here. Um, I'm gonna look. Marquette has been pretty dominant as of late. They've only got one loss dating back to January fifteenth. That was against number one UConn. The game was not close, but they've been taking care of business everywhere else, um, winning on the road. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Marquette here. Shout out to Martin Kilcoin, and I gotta I gotta pick something different from you. So we gotta have a little uh, little different. So I'm gonna take Marquette to pull off a big win at number twelve Creighton. This is one of the better games that we've gonna have we'll have in a while here outside of the uh, outside of the Big Ten and the SEC. All right, so a little a little difference there in the Big East. How about in the SEC tomorrow night? Great game as the fourth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers travel to 14th-ranked Alabama. We, we talked about it after our, during our Mizzou postgame a couple nights ago, Ben. I know we both love Tennessee. I think we're probably going to project them to go pretty far in the dance. I might take Alabama here at home. They've got a really strong home atmosphere. It's a primetime game. I feel like for Alabama, they risk 
falling around a five or a six seed in uh, once the uh, once the brackets come out. Now their metrics are are very strong, but there's something about this Alabama team. They don't play defense, and they've uh, they've lost all their big road tests. They've lost at Tennessee. They've lost at Auburn. They've lost at Florida. Or, excuse me. They've lost at Kentucky. Uh, so for Alabama, their best win is probably home against Auburn in late January. So they for for them to for it to really matter and for Alabama to get a, a more favorable seed, I think they really need this Ben. I think they need to protect their home floor. It would be their best win on the resume. And I, I think they get it done. But man, Tennessee is really, really good. If Tennessee went in there and won by fifteen tomorrow, I don't think I'd be surprised. But I'll take the tide. I'm going to take the volunteers. I feel like they've hit overdrive here. Dalton Connect now scoring 25-plus points per game. It seems like he went off for 39 in a big win against Auburn, a really just really defiant win against a really tough Auburn team. That was at home. Last This this is the team that went out and smacked Kentucky, 10th-ranked Kentucky on the road. Um, they dropped one at A&M, but they've been traveling well here. I, I just feel like they're in they're in March mode now. And I think they're going to finish on a run here. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't drop one the rest of the way. And if they do, they look like one of the best teams in the country. If they can beat Alabama, South Carolina, and Kentucky entering SEC tournament play, they're going to be a team that wants to skip the SEC tournament and go straight into March Madness. So I, I just have a hard time picking against Tennessee with how well they're scoring now, yeah. um, in addition to that elite defense. So great game here, but I'm going to take the Volunteers. Yeah, I think it'll be easily the game of the day. A ton of fun there tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa. And real quick, Ben, a, a pick, Mizzou, Ole Miss tomorrow. A rally for Ryan game. Give me the Tigers. Yeah, I'll go with you. And I, I want to commend Mizzou for continuing the rally for Ryan game. Brad Luce, of course, has moved on. He's at Memphis now. But the fact that they're continuing to play this game and raise uh, funds and awareness for good cause, that's a great thing. And that's a cool thing that they're doing. So uh, maybe that puts them over the top here. Ole Miss has been struggling lately, so take advantage. they got to take advantage. Got to figure out a way to get it done. Sean East is in the lineup. I like their chances. He's been the difference since he's come back. The Tigers have played very competitively just haven't been able to get over the hump. Ben, anything you're working on for the weekend that we can find? Well, I've compiled some of my thoughts that we've been having lately about the uh, rumored expansion of the NCAA tournament. or to call about that. Folks can find it at stltoday.com. We have lots of Blues coverage and Cardinals coverage from spring training. Folks, just check out stltoday.com for all that and more. Great stuff, Ben. I'll uh, yak at you on Sunday. Sounds good, man. See you. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. We'll uh, see you on Sunday morning at 11 here on the Big 550 KTRS.